And we are starting a new series here. And it's really a, ser- a series about skills for living, as you see on the front of your bulletin. And page 527, if you're using the Blue, blue Pew Bible in front of you. And so Proverbs, as we'll find out, is written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And basically, he's just helping us how to have skill for life. How do we navigate this life? We need wisdom. And so God has given us wisdom books, and one of those is Proverbs. And so let's look at chapter 1 together. Let's stand as we read parts of chapter 1 together. Verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street and the markets. She raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. Verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's just turn to one more verse. Verse chapter 9, verse 4. Just the first phrase, chapter 9, verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect together on God's Word. When I was in the eighth grade, I took shop. Do they do that? Do they do this anymore? Do they take shop when you're in middle school? Anybody take shop when you're? That's still common. Maybe it's not. Shop was fun. Shop was where you got to make stuff, and it was cool. Uh, I wasn't particularly creative, but it was so cool just to go into this place and make stuff. And and I remember making an ashtray out of a piece of plastic. So I'm thinking to myself now. 54, why would me in the 8th grade make an ashtray out of a piece of plastic? I was not a heavy smoker in the 8th grade. My parents didn't smoke. Nobody I knew smoked. And so I'm wondering, you know, what my mom was thinking, you know, when I brought home the beautiful plastic ashtray. Like, what was she supposed to do? Display it in our home like everybody knows? Hey, they smoke. They have a plastic ashtray. Well, besides the plastic ashtray, the coolest part to me about shop was this mechanism, this machine. It's called the lathe. Anybody know what a lathe is? Basically, it's like a chicken rotisserie for a piece of wood, right? You know what a chicken rotisserie is? You just stick the chicken on the end and it spins around and cooks. 
Well, a lathe is basically the same thing. It has these prongs on the end, and you take this very simple, basic block of wood, and you clamp it in, and then it spins very fast. And as it spins, if you've got some skill, you apply a tool to that block of wood. It begins to chip off pieces of that wood, and you can take something that's simple and make it into something beautiful. It's not unlike like a, a piece of clay on a potter's wheel. You, you take something that's very simple and basic, and you put the hands on that clay, and it begins to form into something beautiful. The same way with a lathe. It begins to spin around rapidly, and somebody who has skill and somebody who has precision applies tools to that, and then suddenly from something that just seems very ordinary, something beautiful appears. And that is a great picture for the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is calling out over and over again, we saw it several times here, to the simple people, turn here. Turn here into God's shop. Come into his shop, get on the lathe, and as he rotates your life around, he's going to apply his wisdom, his tools to your life. And if you allow him to apply his tools to your life, then you turn out to something beautiful. And that's what Proverbs is constantly asking us, and that's the, what we're going to be asked over and over again this summer. Would you turn in here? Now, the, the tools are going to be here, but the question that only you can ask or answer is, are you willing to turn in? Are you willing to come into God's shop? Are you willing to let him put his tools on you and shape your life into something beautiful? Or would you just prefer going down the highway of your own wisdom? And my encouragement to you is to turn in. Turn in here and read through the book of Proverbs. My challenge for you is for January or June, July, and August that you would read through the book of Proverbs one proverb a day. There's 31 Proverbs and 30 or 31 days in a month. So you would read through it one chapter a day, and at the end of the summer, you have read it through three times. And we would have discussed a good many of those Proverbs. And you'll be a person on the lathe, and God is going to be spinning you around and chipping off things that don't belong there and turning you into something beautiful. You see that in chapter 9, verse 4, whoever simple turn in here. Sometimes the, 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 the call comes out like a father, chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. So the picture is as a father to a child saying, turn in here, here. I see you going this way as a, as a middle school student or a high school student or a college student, and I'm just begging you, turn in here. This is the way of wisdom. This is the way your life gets shaped into something beautiful. Sometimes the voice is a, a woman's voice. Verse 20, wisdom cries out aloud in the street and the markets. She raises her voice. This is a wise woman calling out. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Turn, turn, says the wise woman. So every every Sunday this summer, we're going to be asked to turn into God's shop and to be fashioned into something beautiful by his hands. So as we launch into this series, 
I think it's helpful to to have some observations about Proverbs in general before we we dig down into certain verses and certain topics. So this morning, my whole sermon is five different observations that you need to have in mind as you read through the book of Proverbs that I think will help us navigate the book. So number one, as I've prepared this particular series, I've kept uh, two people in my mind. That's my niece and my nephew, my niece, Jenna Kaif, my nephew, Jack Kaif. They're going into the 10th grade, Jenna 15, Jack 13, going into 8th grade. And those, those are the two people I've had in my mind as I've thought through this series. And the reason I've had them in my mind is because they're right on the verge of entering into this adult world. They've already taken their first few steps. They're entering in, and here I am like this uh, uncle that I am. See, I'm their uncle, I'm their pastor, and I'm their next-door neighbor. Imagine that. (laughs) How lucky could they possibly be? I mean, you guys feel lucky, right? Right, okay. I see that head back there. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, hey, I see where you are. You're 13, you're 15, you're, you're this simple block of wood. You will be shaped. You will be shaped by some tool. It's not an option whether you're going to be shaped. It's the option of who's going to be doing the shaping. And so I'm I'm calling out to any middle school student, any high school student, that that you would turn in here, that you would allow God to to apply his tools uh, so that you would be turned into someone beautiful. What everyone needs to understand, especially if you're 13 and 15, is that God has established creation long, long ago. And when he established it, he established certain ways of operation, certain principles to to live by. And it has to do with friendships or money or sex or work. In every area of life, he's established a way that he wants his world to operate. And, And we can avoid shooting ourselves in the foot so many times if we would just go with his flow. So many times, and you know this if you're my age, or you don't even have to be as old as I am. You know, oh, if I just if I just operated according to God's wisdom, I wouldn't have shot myself in the foot in this particular way. I love what one commentator, his description, we need to learn to live along the grain of the universe. You need to live to learn. You need to learn to live along the grain. You know what along the grain is? Wood grows in a certain direction. When you're sanding it, when you're finishing a piece of wood, you want to you want to sand along the grain. You want to run your hand along the grain. Why? Because if you run the opposite way, what happens? Ah, you get you get splintered. You get stuck by the world. And so the prov- the person Solomon is saying, live along the grain. There's a way in which God wants you to operate in your relationships with your money with your friendships, with your work. There's all kinds of ways God set up, and he's saying, if you just live along the grain, you're going to have such a, a happier and healthy life. And so I'm calling not, not out not just to Jack and Jenna, but to everyone here. Let's learn to live along the grain. Let's not shoot ourselves in the foot. The, the wisdom contained in this book is vastly more important than anything you're going to learn in school. 
This is better than a college degree. And, and I want you to know, and I'm thinking about Jack and Jenna and every middle school person here and every high school person here, I want you to know that, that there's nothing in here in this sermon series that's going to be too difficult for you to understand. There, there's not going to be anything here that you'd say, ah, that's Uncle Paul going off and he's just talking about stuff that old people like him would understand. There's not going to be any of those kinds of times. It's all going to be very applicable for you. You're going to be able to say, I get that. I understand that. I need that knowledge. Instead, we need to look at the book of Proverbs like it's a hidden treasure. And you go, oh, my gosh, this is going to tell me how to live my life. This is going to help me know how God has built the universe. This is going to show me how to live along the grain of the universe and, and not get splinters, not shoot myself in the foot by trying to live according to my own wisdom or being foolish. Proverbs 8.35, when you find me, wisdom, you find life, real life. To say nothing of God's good pleasure. But if you don't find me, you damage your very soul. You see, I I don't want my niece and nephew to damage their soul. I don't want you to damage your soul. I don't want you to live according to your wisdom or what you thought and then end up saying, I've damaged my soul. I've lived along the highway of my own wisdom and I've come out really damaged. If you reject me, the proverb ends, you're flirting with death. So let's live along the grain. Let's not damage our soul. Let's not flirt with our own death, number one. Number two, how, how do we connect the book of Proverbs to Jesus? A lot of times you see this in the Old Testament. You take an Old Testament passage and it's a shadow of a greater reality, something like the book of Exodus. It's very easy to connect to Jesus because you have a people in slavery, Somebody needs to come and rescue the people from slavery. A miraculous thing happens, and they're brought across really from death to life, from slavery to freedom, and they're brought into the promised land. And you see that in Exodus. It's very easy to point to Jesus. Not very difficult. But how do you do that in the book of Proverbs? It's not as intuitive. A couple of things I would say about that. Number one, you connect Jesus with Proverbs by reading this verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Luke chapter 2. You remember Luke chapter 2 is the Christmas story that you mostly hear about. And then Luke says, hey, after Jesus was born and he moved back to Nazareth, he had to grow. And what did he have to grow in? He had to grow in wisdom And he had to grow in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus, being fully human, he had to learn to live along the grain. Now, he did that perfectly, but he had to learn. So if Jesus had to learn, guess what? You and I definitely have to learn. We have to learn how to live along the grain, how to live according to God's wisdom. And no doubt Jesus read the the words from Solomon and Proverbs in order to learn that wisdom. Yet, Jesus understood there was a limitation on wisdom. I mean, it can help us in most areas of our lives, but no matter how wise we become, we still have a problem. We have a problem with our heart. And it's a problem that wisdom doesn't quite get to. 
because our desires frequently dominate God's wisdom. We, we choose our desires over God's wisdom. We, we move in our own direction, and the Bible calls that sin. See, we don't just have an intellectual problem like, gosh, if I was just smarter, then I'd be okay. Even if you have the perfect book of wisdom, and it's in plain English and you can read it, what's the problem? I can't keep it. That's my problem. I see it, and I don't want to do that. I want to do my way. And so Jesus knows we don't have primarily just a mental, an intellectual problem, so he's just sending down instructions. He knows we have a heart problem, and we need a Savior. And so he says in Matthew twelve forty two, Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Imagine Jesus saying that. The wisest man these people have ever met, Solomon. He's written books that we read, and Jesus stands up and says, somebody bigger than Solomon is here. We need a Savior. We don't just need wisdom, and Jesus understands that. You know that in your own soul, that your biggest problem isn't just information. It's your heart. I read this blog post that had this great line, what good are self-help books when the problem is myself? (laughs) I mean, you have a whole shelf of self-help books and you go, but the problem is myself. I'm the problem. I've got a problem. And Jesus understands that. And he's come. And he's come and he's lived perfectly along the grain. He did everything we should have done. And on the cross, he died, and he exchanged his righteousness, his wisdom, for your foolishness, for my foolishness. That's the gospel. So Jesus understood our problem was not just primarily wisdom, but it was a heart problem. So we need to grow in wisdom, but we need to understand there's a limit. And Jesus reaches, uh, the, understands the limit and breaches that limit by exchanging uh, our life for his. Number three. An important distinction to make when you're reading Proverbs is that Proverbs aren't promises. Proverbs aren't promises. Let's say that together. Proverbs aren't promises. This is really critical for you and I to understand. You might say Proverbs are more like probabilities, meaning if you live along the grain, if you live according to this wisdom, then you'll probably have a more satisfying life. But it's not a promise. Now, let me give you some examples here. Proverbs twelve thirteen says this, An evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. All right, so the living along the grain, if you're an evil man, what mo- most of the time happens is you get captured by your own evil talk. You, you sort of spin a web of deceit, and you get captured by it. But if you're a righteous man, then you're going to escape trouble. But let's remember that this is a, a proverb, and it's not a promise, because we know one of the most righteous men in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament wisdom literature, his name was Job. And if there was ever a righteous man, it was Job. And did Job escape trouble? Uh, no. So see, if Job reads this verse 
and thinks of it as a promise, then he's, then he's going to be in trouble. But Proverbs aren't promises. In Ezekiel 14, God identifies the three most righteous men in the Old Testament. Noah, Daniel, and Job. But they didn't escape trouble. So we have to be careful how we use Proverbs. Let me give you another example, pretty common. You might listen to a podcast or a teacher who would say to wives, if you become the excellent wife of Proverbs 31. I love Proverbs 31, but I think sometimes what happens, it feels like a weapon. Any women feel that way? Or a burden? You go, oh my gosh, I can never be the Proverbs 31 woman. But if you could, and if you read it, you would say, well, if I'm this excellent wife, then what's going to happen? My, my children are going to bless me, and my husband is going to praise me. Why would you say that? Because that's what it says. If you live this excellent life, then the, the, your children are going to rise up and bless you, and your husband's going to praise you at the city gate. That's what it says. Or if you're a parent... And you read this in Proverbs 22. If you train up a child in a way he should go, then what happens when he's old? He will not stray far from it. So you could read that as a promise. I I am doing this thing. So when my child becomes 18 or 21 or 25 or whatever old is, he's not going to stray far from it. But then we know plenty of places where that's not true. And it feels like uh, disillusioning, that God has done some sort of bait and switch on us. And we just need to understand that Proverbs tells us what we might ordinarily expect, but they're not guarantees. Excellent wives, faithful parents, and righteous people like Job don't always get what they would expect, because Proverbs aren't promises, it's so wisdom literature not a promise is that clear it's got to be help that's so helpful in your thinking when you're thinking about the book of proverbs number four living along the grain of the universe requires more than sound theological doctrine let me say that again because some of you might be scratching your heads living along the grain of the universe requires more than simply sound theological doctrine. In the Old Testament, there's usually the Old Testament is broken up usually into three parts the law, the prophets, and wisdom. So the law tells you about the doctrine of God or who God is. Uh, the prophets are preachers. They tell you about who God is and who man is. But wisdom tells us how we should live in these uh, small places in our everyday life. See, the law and the prophets just isn't enough. Even if you earnestly seek the holiness of God and his law and you're inspired by the prophets, you can still make a mess of your life. Even if you know everything you can about doctrine, you've got the soundest doctrine in the world. You understand who God is. You understand your responsibility to God. You feed on the preaching of the word of God. If you don't have wisdom, you can still make a mess of your life. Proverbs 15, 1. Let me give you some examples. A soft answer turns away wrath, 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 27, a man who blesses his neighbor too early in the morning is a curse. Isn't that funny? Which I think for us if, is if you have a barking dog. <laughs> if you want to mow your lawn starting at 7 o'clock in the morning. You know, even if you're mowing your neighbor's lawn at 7 a.m. And they want to sleep, it's a curse. It's not a blessing. A woman who nags is like a leaky faucet. Do you see what Proverbs is telling us? You can have super sound theological doctrine. You can listen to all the right preachers. But if you don't have wisdom, nobody's going to pay attention to you. Nobody's listening to you. Nobody wants to be around you because you don't even understand the tone of your voice makes a big difference in how people can listen to you. I love how Raymond Ortland puts it in his commentary. It's possible to live by all the rules and be ugly about it. We all know people who are blameless, but we just still dislike them. But Proverbs tells us wisdom will bestow a beautiful crown. And more people are won for Christ by beauty than by rules. You see, it's, it's like the, the nooks and crannies of your life. If, if you don't have that connective tissue with wisdom, then you, take, you can take all the sound theological doctrine and just pummel people with it. And everybody's met somebody like that. That person's right, but I can't stand to listen to them. And the way you avoid that is wisdom. And God totally understood that. So he didn't just give us a, a book of doctrine. He gave us a book of wisdom. How, how are you supposed to live with your neighbor? How are you supposed to live as a wife? How are, you, how are you supposed to live in this world, in this community? How does the tone of your voice affect how people respond to you? So we desperately need wisdom. Finally, number five, the book of Proverbs uses a variety of vocabulary to describe people. But in the end, there's just one kind of person. And two different paths. When you boil it all down in Proverbs, no matter what vocabulary you might use, the Proverbs, the writer, Solomon, he understands there's just one kind of person. And that one kind of person has two different choices. First of all, the one kind of person, we saw it in verse 22 and chapter 9, verse 4, is simple. Every human being, according to Solomon's wisdom, is simple. And this in the Hebrew means naive, ignorant, one who's easily influenced to do foolish things. That's how the book of Proverbs sees every single human being. They all start out like that simple block of wood, like that uh, unmolded clay. Very simple, very ignorant of things, very easily influenced by other things. And so it calls out, simple people, turn here. Here's one of the paths. Go down the path of wisdom. Go down to a place where you're made into something beautiful. There's, there's two different paths. I'm crying out at the head of the street and saying, go down this way. Go down the way of wisdom. But you see that for some people... 
This is the hardest step on this path is to confess and to say out loud, I'm simple. Some people just, they just can't say it. No, I'm wise. I, I, I listen to my heart for answers. That is such a terrible thing to do. And, but see, somehow we think that if we just keep going deeper within yourself, if you go find yourself underneath all this other stuff that's been laid upon you, then deep inside your soul, you're going to find that the hero lies in you, according to Mariah Carey. That is foolishness. That is today's foolishness. And it's sung and it's said all the time. And the hardest step to take for many people is to say, I start out as a fool apart from God. I am simple. I'm so easily bought by somebody else's line. And the first step to wisdom is to say, I fear God more than I fear man. God is bigger and man is smaller. That's the first step of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, that's like the outline of the whole book. The beginning of all wisdom begins with what? The fear of the Lord. God's bigger than man. and But so many times man's voice, our own or somebody else's, is bigger than God's voice. So it's very difficult to take that step to say, I'm a foolish person apart from God. But that's the, pers- that's the place where you begin to have steps of wisdom. Of course, there is another path. It's the path of foolishness. A simple person can take a step to the, towards wisdom or a step towards foolishness. And, of course, a step in the direction of foolishness is a very easy step. The Proverbs has these warnings, 1625. There is a way that seems right to a man. I felt that in my heart many times. There is a way and it seems right to me. And what does Proverbs say? But in the end it leads to death. Proverbs 26:12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So every human being is simple. There are two different paths to choose, the the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness. And of course, the most popular verse in the book of Proverbs that you have written somewhere, I'm sure, in your house, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Step towards him. Say, he's got it right. No matter how I may feel about it right now. But it goes on to say this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. One reason this is so applicable if you're 13 or 14 or 15 or 16, that's a space in your life where you feel like, I am wise. 
I remember it. I made an ashtray out of plastic and thought it was beautiful. But you are a fool. And if you can just say, left by myself, I am a fool, that is the greatest step you can take towards wisdom. But when you begin to shut yourself off from godly wisdom, from godly counsel, you are going to damage your own soul. So whether you're 13, 33, or 83, Proverbs calls out, turn in here. Come into God's shop. He'll take your life wherever it is, simple, unformed. He'll begin to apply his tools of wisdom. Now, when he starts chipping some things off, guess what? It's going to hurt. But that's how you're made into something beautiful. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I can remember many times I did not turn into that shop that I was the foolish person who relied on his own wisdom and understanding. I trusted in Paul Phillips and I leaned in on my own understanding and I damaged my soul. So I, I pray that we, we have this opportunity this summer to read through the book of Proverbs, to, to listen to sermons on the book of Proverbs, to be shaped by the book of Proverbs, to live along the grain to be shaped into someone beautiful and useful for the kingdom. Would you help us do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.